Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you on a Monday. April the 5th, good to be with you guys today. Lots to talk to. Got a lot of football notes coming out of practice to talk to. Going to talk a little baseball, talk a little women's basketball, uh, talk a little bit about men's basketball. They got a commitment over the weekend. Uh, Just a lot of stuff here on a Monday. Thank you for joining. Uh, Starting off, uh, women's basketball, heartbreaking loss in the semifinals to Stanford 66-65. Uh, I was following it and, you know, that was sort of a, a microcosm of, of the game and the frustration at the end. Uh, and really sort of, uh, the old saying things will come back to get you sometimes, uh, the missed layups ended up, uh, hurting the Gamecocks point blank range, two shots to win, or at least go ahead. Uh, I'd never say win after watching Gonzaga and UCLA the other night, uh, but um, that was tough. It was a tough loss. Your heart goes out to Dawn Staley and the Gamecocks for fighting hard. Stanford ended up winning the national championship by one point against Arizona. Uh, so they had a lot of what Coach Spurrier used to call fortune, and a lot of good fortune, uh, the Cardinal, for winning the whole thing. Uh, I think this team's going to be back. Obviously, you have McDonald's All-Americans coming in, uh, really good players. Raven Johnson's one of them. Uh, the Rivers girl from Wilmington is another. Uh, they got really good players coming in, and they'll add that to this roster, and I think they'll be back. Uh, I, I don't really like to kind of get in the weeds about refereeing, but I'm going to say this. If, if you're if Anything that's worth doing in life, I think, is worth doing right. And uh, not only the, the girls from South Carolina, but the ones from Arizona and in several situations over the weekend, you felt bad. You felt bad for Baylor in the Elite Eight with a stupid no call. I mean, this was a really good tournament, uh, a, a chance to really, I guess, emphasize the, the, the sport, you know, which is, again, not as popular as some other sports, but popular. Uh, because it was so competitive, a lot of exciting games right down to the wire, and it's marred by horrible officiating. Uh, and so, and then to a lesser extent, the NCAA not setting up the weight room and all that. Uh, so it's marred by, you know, incompetence, I guess. Uh, you know, the kickball in the Gamecock game was egregious. Uh, I, I can't believe some of those uh, drives by Aaliyah Boston and others underneath were not called fouls. She literally got shoved. Um, and you hate to see it in a one-point game. If it were a 10-point game, 15-point game, you know, maybe you complain a little bit and you move on. But that literally cost them the game. I mean, you know, that's <laughs> unacceptable. It was a one-point game. Uh, and so all of you out there that were upset about that, I don't, I, I don't blame you. Um, it, it's not whining, I, I don't think, to uh, – and Alexa goes off, right? Um, it's not whining, in my opinion, to sit there and say that. Uh, the, the refs were very costly, and, and the Gamecocks were the victim of some unfortunate officiating. How about that in that one? But this program is going to be back, you know, third Final Four in Dawn Staley's tenure, um, you know, national championship in 2017. 
you could make a strong argument that the two best teams suffered sort of a, I don't know, Stanford was the number one overall seed, so it's kind of hard to say that UConn and South Carolina belong there. But they're going to be back, and I think that's what great programs do. You know, those of you that are sort of new to women's basketball – that just kind of picked it up when the Gamecocks started being good, you know, the, the, you don't always win the title. I mean, you know, Tennessee and UConn obviously went on a big streak, and UConn's kind of the 1970s UCLA of the women's sport. But, you know, you don't always win. You, you get there. Uh, and if you look on the men's side, you know, a program like North Carolina or Duke or Kansas or whoever, they get there frequently, but they don't always win it. Uh, and it's tough. Um, you know, and then on the men's side this year, uh, I think as bad and boring as Baylor versus Houston was, <laughs> uh, we were treated to a classic with the Gonzaga and the Bruins. And uh, heck of a game uh, there with UCLA kids really fighting. I thought they had it. I thought it was going to another overtime, and I was like, well, Gonzaga's going down. This team's not going to relent. Mick Cronin's done a really good job with UCLA. And that, that shows you something too. The great programs always find a way to get up off the mat and do something. And UCLA is a great program. Not going to spend too much time talking about that. It's not inside college basketball here on the inside the game Cops podcast, but uh, that's what happened. So um, congratulations. Great year for Dawn Staley and her team. Uh, like I said, th- this program's not going anywhere. It's going to be back. Dawn Staley is going to be coaching the Olympic team this summer you know, down the road, that's going to have a residual good effect on recruiting as if they needed help. <laughs> uh, when fans come back next year, they're still going to be, you know, one of the highest highest attended programs in the country. They, they get great crowds there. Congratulations to those of you that, that go and uh, make that happen. Uh, because I guarantee you, if it was a half-empty arena all the time and there weren't great crowds, she, she probably couldn't recruit the players she has. You know, that matters. Home court atmosphere matters. And in women's basketball, you know, the home court, there are very few schools that can brag uh, like South Carolina can about the support that they get uh, on the home court. I mean, Tennessee, UConn, you know, those schools obviously do at Baylor. But um, South Carolina's second to none in, in that department. So wrapping that up, the, 20, the season ended at 25-5, and five, another Final Four appearance. And the future is very, very bright. You know, got to hit those layups. But, uh, heck, you know, it was a heck of a year. Another SEC tournament title. Uh, so you got something to put in the trophy case. Got the Final Four again. Got to put that in the trophy case. Hang another banner uh, for going. And certainly, uh, you know, th- there's nothing to be ashamed of if you're a South Carolina women's basketball fan, player, coach, whoever. Uh, it was a great year. Spring football practice rolls on and got some info today. You know, uh, we've been, I've been sitting here scratching my head, asking people, they don't know, or they hadn't paid attention and working sources. Uh, but the secondary, so you look at it. All right. So trying to figure out who's going to play where. And it's a, so this is, this is practice. This is not set in stone. These are just guys running through drills, but it looks like at corner, Dominic Hill, O'Donnell fortune, the two second year guys, uh, Cam Smith, Marcellus dial, um, and Hill and Fortune lined up first today, but then Smith and Dial were getting treatment or in the locker room for some reason, so they came in. So I, I would guess maybe at least Smith is a starter there. Uh, probably Smith and Dial. Those are, those are who I put my money on right now. Uh, I don't know that I'd put the farm on it, 
But coming out of spring, I, I think those guys could be the starters. David Spalding is at the nickel slash spur position, and we know uh, that O'Donnell Fortune has been working there too. Uh, they had to line up R.J. Roderick and Jalen Foster at safety today. Just don't have the numbers back there right now. And then the second unit's a bunch of walk-ons. So it's tough, like Clayton White said, when you, when you only have, you know, nine guys or whatever and you play five DBs at a time, depth could get to you, and that's certainly an issue right now. Uh, when it comes to the secondary, but just as far as who's playing where, uh, I thought that was interesting. And and I think, um, you know, when you look at it, I think I think Fortune could slide back to safety. Joey Hunter, when he gets off of injury, obviously could be a guy that plays safety. Um, I think, you know, Carlin Spatel's coming in. LaDamian Craig is coming in uh, during the offseason. Isaiah Norris will come in during the offseason. So, so I don't know that this is how, when it comes to be – game week against Eastern Illinois, that this is where these guys are going to be playing. But right now that's sort of where it's at. But obviously the question is going to be, where's Jalen Dickerson back there in the safety mix? I don't know. He may have been missing at practice today because there were several that were out. But, um, you know, that's what it looks like. Another interesting thing that I, I wanted to talk about here, and I don't know, again, who's out and who's, you know, who's missing practice or whatever, because, you know, we're only allowed to watch the first 20 minutes. Uh, Brad Johnson at middle linebacker. Now, I'll say this about Brad Johnson at middle linebacker, and I know he had some bad moments at Sam linebacker last year. There's no way to spin it. <laughs> he just didn't play very well. Missed some assignments. Uh, I think he's a guy that talent-wise, since I've, I've followed his career since high school at Pendleton, he's a guy that I've always thought, you know, put your hand in the dirt and just go. You know, he's a kind of a pass-rushing type of guy. Uh, that said, you know, he, he's never really been given a shot at the mic, and that's kind of a different deal. That's kind of right there uh, on the inside where you kind of play that game between the tackles and do whatever. He's a big kid. And when you, I thought back to when he was being recruited, there were some schools like Clemson and Georgia that evaluated him as a Mike linebacker. That, that that's what they thought he was long-term. Now, he wasn't. Uh, above their offer on, on their offer board because of it. But Brent Venables, those guys, from what I recall, and I hope I'm not, uh, hope I'm not making a mistake here, but I, I seem to remember it pretty vividly that they told me when I went to his high school that that's what Clemson and Georgia were looking at him as, as a Mike linebacker. And, you know, so somebody out there somewhere, what this means is somebody out there somewhere thought he could be a Mike and, you know, Clayton White obviously thinks he could be a Mike, and and so we'll see. You know, it'd be great if Brad Johnson could, uh, you know, get out there and compete at that position because linebacker is sort of a mystery as well. Uh, Sherrod Green walked out there first with him. Muhammad Kaba was not at practice today. Uh, and then behind those two guys, Damani Staley and Debo Williams at the linebacker spot. So Brad Johnson at Mike is is an interesting move that, that I think we all need to track. Uh and look, they've said some good things about him too in the media. Uh, Clayton White said some good things about Brad. So if Brad can find a home there, great. You know, I, I don't know that I would predict a All-American year at Mike Linebacker for him. I, I think the hope is probably that he can get out there and give him some depth and, and maybe start if he's good enough. Uh, but uh, I, I do think that this is a move that so far during practice appears to be playing off. I'll warn you too, though, he looked pretty daggum good at Sam during the whole offseason last year. 
you know, so that's uh, it's another one of those guys that, you know, they need to take it to the field on Saturdays. And hopefully, you know, with all these guys, you know, that's the case there. Um, well, special teams note, punt returner Rico Powers and Amarian Brown are working there. I think that makes sense. Amarian Brown, if he can return punts, given his speed and elusiveness and all that, great. Obviously, you got to hold on to the ball. And then Rico Powers, if you look at his film from high school and what he could do in the open field, you know, that shouldn't be a huge surprise uh, right there. Kickoff return in addition to DeCarian Joyner, Xavier Leggett, who had a big uh, kickoff return as a true freshman at Texas A&M, and Jalen Brooks are both back there. So, um, and I'll say this about Jalen Brooks. We wrote an article, got to interview him, wrote an article on the Big Spur, uh, talked about him focusing on improvement. Uh, that was met with some skepticism, obviously, from some people. And, and look, let me just let me just say this. I know that that LSU game was extremely disappointing. That was sort of the – I mean, there's lots of beginnings of the end to the Muschamp era, okay? If you go back, you could talk about Florida in 2018. You could talk about North Carolina in 2019. You could talk about Florida in 2019 because if they held on to win that game, that's two top ten teams in a row they would have beaten, and I think they would have had the confidence to be better down the stretch. Um, you know, so there's a lot of beginnings of the end, but if you're just talking about the 2020 season, LSU was it. If you, if you keep in mind – you know, they'd lost a tough game to Tennessee at home. And Tennessee had started to decline at this point, but wasn't all the way in the gutter. Um, I think maybe the, I think maybe they had played Kentucky, though, that day. And that was a bad loss. But anyway, you know, Florida was kicking people's butt. And Carolina was firing at the end zone. And then I don't want to talk about the that drive there at the end where they melted all the time off the clock. But Carolina's firing at the end zone to, to pull it within a touchdown at the Swamp. Okay, they blew out Vanderbilt, and they had a big win over Auburn for the first time since the '30s. So at that point, going to LSU, you know, I don't, I don't know that coaching change is a big part of the vernacular at South Carolina. Uh, LSU was sort of on the ropes; they had lost at Missouri, um, and then Carolina goes down and gets beat 52-24. Obviously, the defense could not stop them. Uh, obviously, the offense had its bad moments. Colin Hill, that was kind of the beginning of the end for him. Um, and uh, just wasn't very good. And Jalen Brooks, that's his first game, and he couldn't get off press coverage <laughs> and pick, you know. Uh, and so it wasn't it – was, it was a bad start for him. But if you watch – and I know there was the drop against A&M early too uh, the next week. But, but if you watch him down the stretch, the guy, first and foremost, athletically, he looks like he belongs. You don't look at the guy and go, he's not a good enough athlete to compete at this level. There's nothing athletically about him that you look at and go, wow, you know, he just doesn't belong. Uh, you know, the athleticism's there. The speed's there. The size is there. The issue was the hands. You have to catch the ball. Um, and uh, apparently, according to this article that you can read for free on the bigspur.com right now, shameless promotion there, he, that's one thing he's been focusing on because he really lost confidence. Like a lot of the players on this team last year, individually, completely lost confidence. And he mentioned fans on Twitter too. And I understand that fans need an outlet. 
that's that's how I make my money is providing fans an outlet on a message board. Uh, so I'm not saying that fans don't need to be frustrated and stuff like that. I just don't think you should go after players personally on Twitter. I, I think, you know, in the pros – for professional athletes, that, that's a different deal. They're getting paid a lot of money to go out there and and uh, give it their all. And, you know, th- that's a job. And every job has criticism that comes with it. And uh, sometimes it's in-your-face criticism, you know, booing and things like that. You know, I, I think that's, uh, that's the deal. Now, there are boos at Williams-Brice Stadium every year. But most of the time, if you think about it, it's because of the – the the refs <laughs> making a bad call or the play or the coaches uh, or something like that. I don't I don't know that Carolina fans in person are booing players. They don't know you booed Jake Bentley, but you know that's uh, that was a rare occurrence. You know, so, sometimes the quarterback does get booed. So I uh, I'm just not a fan of going after play. I mean, you have to understand these are these are still college kids, uh, and and I'm. I'm of the opinion, yeah, you people are like, well, they need to grow up. Yeah, of course. That's what college is all about. But you have to understand that, you know, when we talk in society these days so much about mental health, those types of things can really be a detriment. And I think if you're a fan, you want Jalen Brooks to get better and be good, and it's just not productive telling him he sucks on Twitter. That's not going to help anybody, you know. Uh, at the end of the day, some anonymous jerk, you know, with Gamecock stuff on his Twitter account, goes after a guy. Uh, and, and some of these guys, too, that go after players on Facebook and Twitter, I've noticed that they love to put Bible verses up on their profile pages and stuff. So you, you tell me what the good book says about what you just did to a, a, an 18, 17-year-old. You know, I, I, <laughs> I can't recall the verse, but, you know, you could go as simple as love thy neighbor, you know, <laughs> and, and, and make sure you know you're doing the wrong thing. Um, and it's not everybody. It's probably not even anybody that listens to this podcast or is a member of the Big Spur. Uh, I'm just saying that, you know, that was very telling to me that you know, here's a kid that worked hard to come in and get eligible. Uh, I understand that everybody was hopeful he would be the savior of the receiving core last year, uh, and it just didn't work out. But, you know, I, I think that some things are, are very counterproductive with what fans do. But I'm not going to sit here and lecture a long time, but that was very telling to me. So Brooks is improving. Uh, Brooks is out there improving. I've, You know, when you ask about the receivers, it's, you know, you hear Amarian Brown and E.J. Jenkins a lot. That's not a surprise. E.J. Jenkins is a freak of nature. Um, They really think he's going to be good. So far, so good with Jenkins in terms of adjusting to the speed of the game and all that. Um and I know that just from talking to some people, they're very pleased with his attitude and, and work ethic and, and all that good stuff. And 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 look, here's a guy that didn't have any offers, ended up at St. Francis out of high school and just kept working and working and working. Now he's going to play in the SEC, so you got to like that. Uh, but then you hear every now you, you hear Jalen Brooks every now and then. You'll hear Chad Terrell every now and then. You'll hear Dukari Joyner every now and then. It just goes up and down, which tells me that, you know, this group still needs some consistency. Rico Powers. Uh, obviously is a guy that they feel like they need to get right. Um, And I'm basing that on some conversations I had along with, uh, you know, they released a video of Justin Stepp mic'd up and seemed like 80% of the time he was working with Rico Powers. And uh, and I think Rico last year, from what I was told, 
you know, he got in the games and I think Florida was one of the games he got into, caught some passes and then just never progressed beyond that. Didn't, uh, I guess he thought sometimes when, when you're young like that, you know, you think you've arrived and you got more work to do. And so that was the situation there, but Rico power, certainly a, a high three-star low four-star guy. Uh, if he hadn't changed schools, probably would have been a little more heavily recruited. Um, electric in the open field as a recruit. This is as a recruit. I'm not saying – I'm not looking at his one catch against Florida and, and going, man, that guy. <laughs> but, you know, he's a guy that can help. So, I, I think with this uh, with this receiving core, you know, it, it's, it's going to take three or four to step up. And that's all – I mean, they've got – I've said it many times, 18 guys on scholarship. I mean, I'm sorry, 18 guys in the room right now, 13 on scholarship. You got Omega Blake coming in, and, you know, who knows if somebody may go to defense or something. like I don't know. But, um, you know, we'll see kind of what happens there. I, I just uh, – it's one of those things where they don't need everybody to step up and take it to the next level. They do need a few um, that have the ability to go do it. And, you know, they need somebody that can catch the ball. I mean, just catch the ball. I'm pretty sure this offense is going to scheme guys open. I mean, I think guys are going to be open to cast the ball. And then Luke Doty or Jason Brown or Colton Gother, whoever wins the job, you know, they're going to have to hit them. And uh, so far, so good. I can report uh, on Luke Doty that, you know, he's, he's the guy right now. Uh, Jason Brown's going to have to catch him. Uh, and Jason, you know, there's two things going on with him. People are like, well, what's going on with Jason Brown? Well, you know, first and foremost, he, he's a transfer guy, you know, and, and it's one thing if you're EJ Jenkins and you're 6'7", 240, and you jump up over everybody and you're one of the best athletes on the field um, to adjust to the speed and all that. If you're a quarterback, that's a different deal. And, and Jason Brown during his media availability even said it. He's like, I've got to get rid of the ball quicker. I mean, the, the speed of the game. And, and I talked about that, too. He has to adjust to the speed of the game. Um, and then he got behind because he was sick and missed some practices, which were valuable. And so, um, you know, Luke Doty's ahead. Doty's had the experience, and, and that's why you like experience and all that. Doesn't mean it's over. Uh, and, and I think there's an awful lot of good that Jason Brown can do once the light comes on. And Colton, uh, I think – the fact that they're really high on him so far and, and he's done a great job so far, that's only great for the future of the position, uh, you know, because he's a guy, tall, good arm. Uh, you know, you can see him developing into a starter one day. Uh, and that's uh, you know, that's why some people liked him as a four-star quarterback. I think we had him at 24-7 sports as a high three. But uh, and I've said this player comparison before. I think he, he reminds me a little bit of Charlie Whitehurst when Whitehurst came out of high school. And and Whitehurst was not a highly rated guy. And then in two years, he ends up beating out Willie Simmons, who was one of the highest rated quarterbacks and to commit to Clemson in history and really one of Tommy Bowden's first big recruits since when he got to Clemson. Uh, and so getting you know a guy that could beat him out like that, and he beat him out. Charlie was better than Simmons. And um, so getting a guy that could beat him out like that was, uh, you know, if that's the path Colton goes on, I think that's a good path. I'm not saying, you know, he's going to go play 10 years in the NFL as a backup either and 
grow his hair out like that. But, uh, and it's not just the hair, you know, I rem- I'm remembering Charlie Whitehurst as a recruit. Um, so if they can get that out of him or even close, great, super. Um, and, and good quarterbacks come from all different rankings. I mean, we're living in a world where, you know, last season Kyle Trask and Mac Jones and Zach Wilson, who I think had less than seven stars between them coming out, all were three of the top quarterbacks in college football. Now Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields <laughs> were, were two really good ones too. So, uh, but it just kind of shows you that sometimes at that spot, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a crapshoot development, all that good stuff. Um, so very encouraged about the quarterbacks there uh, as far as that goes. Uh, Rick Sandage missed practice today. Uh, of course, he had a car wreck. Uh, we wrote about that on the big spur, really scary looking accident, but got out with just a scratch. Um, thank God he's okay. Not just from a foot, I mean, not, not from a football standpoint at all, but just because, you know, he's a really good kid and his, his mom is uh, very active and, and, you know, we all kind of know the family a little bit and it, it's, it would have been horrible had something bad happened to Rick. And, uh, so I, I'm just thankful that he's okay. And uh, but he missed, and certainly everybody understood that. I don't know where Kaba was. Jordan Strawn was missing too. Uh, but look, it's still COVID protocols and things like that you got to go through. So there's going to be guys missing, and we may not ever know why, just because that's just uh, that's kind of how it goes there. Um, offensive line, uh, I thought. Uh, oh, this was interesting. And the first offensive line lined up on the left side: Justin Turnatin, Jalen Nichols at left guard, uh, Eric Douglas at, at center, Jovan Gwynn at right guard, right tackle was Dylan Wanham. Uh, Vershawn Lee was behind Turnatine at left tackle, Wanamaker behind Nichols, Manos, Hank Manos behind Douglas at center, Jordan Rhodes behind Gwynn and Wyatt Campbell behind Wanham. I mean, so so my question there is where was Ja'Kai Moore today? Because obviously he would be in that mix. Um, or, or what's up with him right now? Uh, and I think I remember maybe him having a nagging injury or something. But I thought the interesting part of this was Jalen Nichols at left guard. Uh, you know, you, you look at Jalen Nichols, he's, you know, 6'5", 320, big-bodied guy. Um, people may not remember this. He started the game at Georgia, Carolina won. He started at right tackle, played the whole game. <laughs> Held his own as a true freshman out there two years ago. Uh, and I remember when, when Wolford recruited, they thought they got an absolute steal uh, to the point where there were some schools uh, around the SEC and elsewhere that uh, were trying to convince him to come play defensive line for them. And at the end, Mac Brown, when he first got to North Carolina, they made a big push. Uh, he stuck with the Gamecocks, but they did make a big push uh, for Jalen. Uh, and so he's always been kind of a talented guy and, you know, maybe he is more suited for guard or, or, or I I don't know that I would end his career at tackle right now if he starts at guard this year. Because I think he's a guy that could also slide out like Sedarius Hutcherson and, you know, Rokevius Watkins and some guys like that over the years have. But, um, shoot, I, I think um, I think that's a lot of beef on that side of the line when you're talking about turning tide and nickels over there on that left side and then – Gwynn and Wanham on the right side are not too shabby either. And then Eric Douglas, I thought, had a really good, really good year last year at center. It was, uh, you know, center was kind of a, I guess, a question mark going into the season. And boy, he ended up 
you know, I think the tackles sort of struggled a bit at times, but uh, he was really good at center for most of the year. So I, I think, I think, I think it's interesting. You know, I think that as Greg Adkins kind of tries to get his best five out there, you know, that kind of move, you, you kind of look at it and you go, wow, you know, they go 340, 320, 305, uh, 310, and then 310. Uh, I think I'm getting those weights right. I don't have them in front of me, but I think that's how they'll go. Uh, so there's a lot of big athletic guys up front on the offensive line. And, you know, you combine that with Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd at running back. And if Doty does hold on to the quarterback's job, a running quarterback, you can kind of start to see, well, you know, and then they got got some tight ends they like, you know, if two or three receivers step up, uh, it could be a different deal offensively this year. I, I'm not going to predict miracles because – Ultimately, in today's game, you got to be able to throw the football at times. And I think with that being another question mark in terms of who's going to catch it and all that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and go, well, Carolina's going to go up and down the field on just about everybody. I I wouldn't go that far. But I think, you know, unlike some previous years where you're sitting there wondering, I mean, think about Will Muschamp's first year. Let's go back to 2016. All right. you're looking at receiver and it's like, well, there's Debo Samuel, but he's been hurt most of his career. He had one good game against Clemson and and he was hurt again. Uh, And then, you know, you got a freshman, Brian Edwards coming in and um, Travis Dawkins and Ranricus Davis coming in. And, uh, and you got Hayden Hurst at receiver, but they're going to move him to tight end. So he's, he's going to play tight end now. And you don't know who the quarterback's going to be. Uh, you know, you got Jake Bentley coming in, McElwain's there, Perry Orth uh, running back. And David Williams, the hope was he would be the guy, but he wasn't. It ended up being A.J. Turner. Um, and then Rico Dowdle, when he finally got healthy, sort of took that job. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, they didn't have the base. Uh, and, then, and then, you know, a bunch of offensive linemen coming back and, you know, Muschamp bragged on them, and then they had probably the worst year of the Muschamp era on the offensive line, 2016. That was a bad, that was a tough. I mean, they they you know, poor Brandon McElwain and Jake Bentley and Perry. I mean, they couldn't get a pass off sometimes. And so, you look at it and you're like, well, you know, compared to 2016, you know, there there's a shot, there's a chance. You, you've got a leading rusher, SEC's leading rusher coming back and running back. You've got a five-star guy waiting in the wings. You've still got Zaquandre White and Rashad Amos back behind those guys. Uh, your offensive line uh, is experienced, athletic, and deep. Uh, and then you, you're not having to count – well, I mean, I take that back because E.J. Jenkins technically is a converted wide receiver, and, and he's going to play some of both. But, you know, you, you still got Nick Muse there that started a bunch of tight end the last two years. So, you know, I, and you know that, you know, somebody with some experience is probably going to be your quarterback, either Luke Doty or if Jason Brown makes a move, you know, that started a college game. And so I, I think offensively, you know, Carolina's in pretty good shape as far as that goes. And look, if it hadn't been for some transfer, for Robinson and Dixon transferring, uh, I think they'd be okay in the secondary number wise. I think, I think, I think right now, it's tough because there's just a lot of unproven players 
and not, and the numbers are short. So, you know, you're, you're repping walk-ons there too, you know, so I, I would, I kind of feel like the secondary is still going to be talked about as a concern through the spring game and, and on into the next season. I, I do think they're in good hands. It's just like receiver. Uh, you know, if, if you can get Tory and gray and Justin step to come fix your receiver and core and, and your defensive backfield, during a year where you've got some questions, <laughs> you're not going to do much better than getting those two guys because, you know, they, they've done it before. They've pieced it together. I mean, they both have a track record doing that. And sorry about it, that, the dropped mic there. <laughs> I'm not leaving, but I dropped the mic there. Um, and so that, that, that that's, you know, I'm saying that to say that that position is in good hands. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> what ultimately happens. But um, uh, I do think they have some recruiting to do back on that end, uh, on the back end of the defense and then at receiver, obviously. But I, I, there's hope there. <laughs> you know, last year, I don't think anybody involved with the program thought there was much hope at receiver. I mean, Shy Smith and let's get the ball to Shy, and then hopefully Nick Muse catches it when he's open, but that's about it. You know, I, I think they have a chance to have more options this season. And I think the run game is going to help that. I mean, I think, my goodness, when you're talking about a quarterback running the ball and then those two backs, I mean, that's uh, that could be an offense that's very tricky for people to stop. Uh, you know, I, I think that sometimes a mobile quarterback is a great equalizer. And from what you've we've heard so far, Doty's really doing a good job throwing it too. And so, you know, this could be – this could be the – I don't want to say a breakout year for Luke. I'll say it breakout year for Luke Doty. I mean, he may uh, surprise some people this season. Uh, in, in my opinion, I think uh, based on what I've heard so far. Now we'll see. You know, the spring game's coming up, and uh, 19 days from today, and I'm sure people will pick that apart, <laughs> uh, which you should. You know, that's what you should do, and I'll be picking it apart too. But I think that. You know, at the end of the day, you know, there's there's a glimmer of hope on the offensive side of the football uh, just because of the pieces in place. And then, you know, like I said, the secondary, we'll see ultimately uh, what happens there. And, again, very intrigued by Brad Johnson at middle linebacker. So that's, that's your football report for today uh, from spring practice uh, at South Carolina. Uh, be sure to check out the – Monday Morning Practice Insider. If you're a VIP member of thebigspur.com, uh, go check that out. If not, you can join for a dollar. You know, Tony morell has got some recruiting stuff. Uh, there's some articles there about Beamer and uh, the difference between in the culture and, and what's different now. There's a lot different now. You know, I even noticed it. We had a video up on the site today of practice and just kind of the the body language and enthusiasm to go hit the practice field is like a lot different than maybe it once was under Muschamp. And that's not to say, look, that's not to say there was never any enthusiasm to practice uh, under Muschamp. I mean, it's that, that's what was so weird about the whole situation is that there were no, you know, besides what we saw on Saturdays, there were really no tangible signs of anything being wrong. Uh, the normal things you see, I mean, like, like I'll give you an example Heading into the 2015 season, uh, I went to spring practice. They were all open under Spurrier. Uh, and I knew at that point watching, 
you know, Deke Adams and Whammy coaching that D line. That I mean, the body language was compared to Brad Long, who kept his guys going and going and going. The body language was just not there. Uh, you kind of tell they're probably going to struggle a little bit. You know, you, you kind of sense that uh, in the air. And so, I don't know. You know, you never got that sense with Muschamp around, and you don't certainly don't get that sense now because it's over the top positive energy, and and that's. You know, that's kind of what Shane Beamer is all about, over-the-top positive energy. He's going to stay positive, and that that probably will annoy some people over time, uh, some of you out there, <laughs> uh, especially if they lose a game or two and he's still trucking along being positive. But, you know, most most of the guys that are successful in college football these days, you know, keep it pretty positive. Now, there, there's, there's some differences out there, obviously, but uh, – you know, we'll see kind of what happens moving forward. Now, Carolina baseball, that's something that, you know, throughout my time following this program, this athletics program, uh, baseball has sort of been a breath of fresh air at times, especially when you have a men's basketball and a football season go like the Gamecocks did, uh, two and eight in football and six and 15 in men's basketball. Obviously, they both pretty much played a – all conference schedule, <laughs> uh, you know, Liberty in Houston. I think the basketball team played Liberty in Houston and then Florida A&M and then the rest were conference games. But I, I do think that, um, you know, I do think that when you look at it, you know, you needed baseball to be good. And they had a lot of players coming back that, that are good and a really deep pitching staff. Uh, and so, you know, with the exception of a six-game losing streak, you know, this team's won 19 out of 20 games. You know, they're 19 and seven, six and three in the league. And, and just looking at the standings, uh, you know, and, and Carolina has played, you know, they're six and three, but they've played Florida and Vandy and Georgia. I mean, and two of them are on the road. Uh, so it's like, whereas you look at Tennessee and look at their schedule and see what they've done. Uh, in conference play, you know, they won two of three at Georgia, just like the Gamecocks did. They swept LSU, uh, and, and that sounds impressive, but LSU is one and eight right now in the league. Uh, and then they went to Bama and won two of three. Uh, so they now, so, the, so they're seven and two right now in second place in the East. They got Vandy coming to town this weekend. So that's a big, that's a big deal. Uh, and then they don't, you know, they don't have the cross division schedule like the Gamecocks have. They do play Arkansas later this year, and then it's the Gamecocks and Vols the last series of the season. They go to, they also go to Texas A and M, you know. So we'll see kind of what happens with UT moving forward. But they're in second place, seven two. Gamecocks third by themselves at six and three. Uh, Kentucky's five and four. Florida is five and four, but Florida. <laughs> You know, Florida's got the – they got the Vols coming up, but they played, you know, Carolina, they got swept. And then they played number three Ole Miss at home and won two of three uh, this weekend. So, I guess I was wrong about that. Florida plays Tennessee this weekend, and then Tennessee plays Vandy coming up. So, they've got kind of the – Tennessee's got kind of the murderer's row. Uh, coming up. So Florida's five and four, but they swept AM and won two or three from Ole Miss, got swept by the Gamecocks. So that's the difference right now uh, over there. So, you know, and, and it looks to me too like Georgia, 
it's probably not the best team in the league. And I know they took the – it was tough how they took the Friday night game because the Gamecocks blew a 3 nothing lead. But I don't think they're – you know, like LSU is struggling to the point where they're, they're scratching their heads right now. Bama's struggling. Uh, A&M, to a certain extent, struggling. Uh, Auburn's 1-8 and eight in the league. Missouri coming in this weekend. They're 10-17 and 17 overall. They got the worst record uh, overall in the t- entire league. They play Carolina this weekend. So, you know, we'll kind of see what ultimately happens. <laughs> uh, I mentioned uh, that uh, Missouri was struggling, but I'll also say this. They, you know, they dropped two or three to Kentucky. They lost were swept by Vandy. Uh, and then they came back this past weekend and won eight to two and seven to three against A&M at home after losing 16 to two the first game. Uh, and so maybe they're turning the corner a little bit. They're three and six in the league now, which is a lot better than LSU or some of those teams. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's one of those things, you know, it's not going to ever be easy in this league, but you have to like where the Gamecocks are at considering who they've played so far. Um, and it, it's, it's a deal where I don't want to say easier or whatever, but it's a deal where you got that North Carolina game up in Charlotte and that's always big. That's tomorrow night, SEC network, six o'clock or seven o'clock Eastern, then Missouri, Charleston Southern. Then you go to LSU, which as I've mentioned, LSU is not very good. They're one and eight in the league right now. Who knows if they can get up off the mat and be better. Um, and then Arkansas comes to town and then at Ole Miss and then Mississippi state comes to town. So there's, you know, th- there's a little wiggle room to kind of pad the old record here in the next few weeks and, and really get something going, uh, if they take care of business. And certainly, you know, that North Carolina game is not a league game, uh, but it is a game that the RPI and all that will depend on, um, you know, and they use the RPI in baseball, by the way, <laughs> to decide who coasts regionals and, and super regionals and all that. So, you know, Carolina, if it continues to play like they have and, and continue to – and it's not like they're never going to lose a game, but uh, I think Carolina could definitely get in the conversation for a national seed, dare I say, uh, right now, um, right here at about – it's not quite the – it's 26 games. It's a 53-game schedule, so they're right at the halfway point of the year. Uh, I think, you know, they're not that far down the road in league play yet, nine out of 30, but, you know, seven more series to go. But uh, so far, so good. And I think the pitching's been really good and all that good stuff. So Gamecocks in North Carolina tomorrow night from Charlotte. I hope that those of you that wanted to get tickets can get tickets and all that good stuff. Gamecocks did get a commitment uh, in basketball, men's basketball, from Murray State transfer Chico Carter, uh, a guy that was very competitive. He's from Columbia, Carlton Newman High School. You look at his Twitter account, uh, and even before he committed, he had great, you know, a big banner that said Columbia, you know. I, I think he wanted to come home. Um, obviously, he did some really good things at Murray State, he was their sixth man, averaged in double figures. Uh, and uh, he's a shooter. You know, he's a guy 80% from the foul line, which I think we'd all love that, right? And uh, 44% from, free, from three, uh, pretty good percentage there. So Gamecocks are going to need guards next year. Uh, and so that's uh, that's that. And, uh, you know, I think 
uh, you know, getting this guy back in the fold could, could potentially be helpful as far as this next season goes. Uh, when you're talking about the Gamecocks and uh, their prospects, I, still no public resolution uh, with Frank Martin. And um, so we don't know, you know, we, we don't know uh, exactly what it's going to look like. I, I do think through the weekend, there were more and more signs that, that pointed more toward, you know, him staying like we've been reporting that, that maybe there being a chance he's gone. I mean, it, you know, the final four has already started championship game tonight. So, you know, uh, I, the, the women are out. So I expect a resolution to this thing either day and uh, any day now. And I think it's probably going to be an extension with a renegotiated buyout. It's just like we've been saying, um, and it's hard to say something different than that when you're out there getting commitments and, and recruiting still, because, I mean, if that wasn't the case. Uh, and I know I mentioned on the last podcast about, well, the, the Teddy Hefner thing was kind of weird and all that. But, uh, you know, as, as I talked to more people through the weekend, it looked like well, they were going to probably come to an agreement. Not a done deal. Wouldn't bet the ranch on it. But that's uh, that's kind of what I feel right here at uh, – a little past noon on Monday, April the 5th. All right, we have no mailbag questions today, and, and that's cool. Uh, folks, you can get into the mailbag by emailing inside the gamecocks at gmail.com, uh, or you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod, uh, and we will be sure to answer anything. And, and look, okay, okay, all right. sorry. Uh, I do have two on Twitter. I, I just checked the inbox. Two on Twitter. Okay. And uh, so I'm going to get to those right now. <laughs> I, I should have looked at it. Should have looked at it. All right. Mike says, we've won eight total games in men's sports in 2020. To me, it seems the athletic department needs to earn back trust of the fan base. Do Tanner and Beamer know that? Uh, I mean, obviously, football changes were made, but not basketball. I, I think oh, I think Ray Tanner's definitely aware of that. And I think that, and I think Shane Beamer is aware of the fact that this fan base sort of needs to do some healing. Uh, I think he understands that they're not in the same place as maybe they were uh, when um, he was here in 2010 last. Um, and, and I think that there's some things they've been doing from a PR standpoint for football that can help you know, in addition to having good coverage and letting the media and, and sites like mine do our job, uh, they've been doing some good things on their own too. I, I'd recommend going and watching the the golf cart drive video with uh, Jessica Jackson and Derek Moore from the other day. Uh, my understanding is they're going to do some of that with a lot of assistant coaches. Uh, and really, I think transparency always helps when you when you're dealing with fans. Just from the simple fact that I think at times under Muschamp, you just you didn't really get the chance to get to know the players. You know, I mean, I think J.C. Horns probably talked more, um, given more good sound bites. <laughs> um, you know, since Beamer's been here before the draft, then maybe he did his whole career, and and that's not that's not you know every every coach does things different, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong the way Muschamp did it, but it's certainly more helpful from a transparency standpoint and, and from, you know, your fans getting to know uh, your players. You, you want to get to know your players. And so, uh, you know, that's uh, that's the deal. And so I think 
The answer is yes. Beamer and Tanner know that. I think with basketball next year, uh, I don't I don't know what to say about it because uh, I do think there was a desire to make a change, uh, and now that there's probably not going to be a change, then um, you know the the best I can do is just say, hey, look, South Carolina is going to be an underdog next year in the SEC. Uh, expectations are not going to be high. Uh, but they rarely are under Frank Martin. And I would point to this. In 14 years of coaching, last year was by far his worst year. No questions asked. And whether or not you think COVID was a valid reason to be as bad as they were, and, and I think that's debatable, Debatable. the bottom line is it happened. The, the bottom line is, you know, this team, it is factual to state this team missed 30 days. It is factual to state Martin had it twice. It is factual to state that, you know, those guys are all really pushing through, you know, uh, some things, some sickness and some things like that off the, off the court. Uh, and, and so me and you and, and whoever else can sit there and say, well, it shouldn't happen like that anyway. You know, you, other teams had to deal with it. Why couldn't the Gamecocks? Well, you know, that's fine and all, and, and you can debate that, but it doesn't change the fact that it happened. Uh, and so if you're, if you're looking for a turnaround next year, uh, I don't think it's out of the question. Uh, I think it's going to be difficult. Uh, but, you know, then again, we don't know who all is going to be on the team next year. So you, you really, before you make a decision about that, you got to see who's playing. Um, we know Chico Carter is going to be playing. We know there's four incoming recruits. Um, you know, some of the guys that have Jalen McCreary and Trey Hannibal have entered the portal. Uh, Keyshawn Bryant is not hired an agent, but is going pro. Kusinar, same way. Uh, so you just don't know. I mean, you just don't know. And like I said, when you when you look at the history of Frank Martin, you know, six wins in a season is not what he normally does. Uh, you know, and it's not like this team's been sitting here winning three or four SEC games the last few years and, and loading up on cupcakes in the non-conference. So the overall record looks good. They've, you know, they've, they played challenging schedules. I, I continue to maintain that if there are any sort of change that were made, it wasn't because of this year. It was because of the missed opportunities since the final four uh, and losing the teams you shouldn't lose to. I mean, that that's, that's the bottom line uh, with all this, but, you know, maybe they can shake that next year and, and get after it and have a surprising season. I, I don't know uh, two years ago or three years ago that anybody after the non-conference would have expected that team to turn around and win 11 SEC games. Uh, so things can happen. Uh, and I think, you know, if indeed, and it looks like it is, Frank Martin comes back, then – you know, you got no choice but just to hope for the best and, and get behind him and, uh, and, and you know, hope that he turns it. And, and, and look, now that, there's not a lot that points to that he is, but there's not a lot that points to, like, he definitely is not either. It, it's going to be kind of a mystery, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, Justin says, don't apologize for Red. We love his input. <laughs> Thank you. Red is an uh, a interesting dog, and he um, – he certainly has his opinions on things, namely like the the UPS man or the FedEx FedEx guy. He's like, so my question for you is going to the spring game, I will want to know who you think I should look for to have a good game. 
I know the star of the spring game isn't a sign of greatness, though. Just curious. Uh, Justin, I, I think um, – all right, so here, here's who I'd look for. I, uh, I think that Luke Doty and the quarterbacks probably should be your focus, you know, and, and, and it's, it's this. It's how does, how does Luke Doty command the offense? What does the offense look like? I think it's going to be intriguing. Um, you know, how do they use the tight ends? The, the backup running backs, I think, will probably have a good shot at having a good – you know, you may go see Zaquandre Wright or rush for 100 yards. Zaquandre White. Um, and so that could happen. That could happen there. Uh, I think at receiver, I mean, you just don't know. Maybe a guy like DeCarian Joyner has a big game, and that's no guarantee he's going to be really good moving forward. You just hope somebody steps up. Uh, on the line of scrimmage, you know, I, I think – some big plays from the edge rushers would be good. But th- then you're like worried about the, the offense though, right? <laughs> so I, uh, the number one guy I'm going to have my eyes on in the spring game is Luke Doty because you just don't know the setup with the other positions. Like, well, are they on a rotation? Who are they actually going against? If there's walk-ons in the secondary, you know, does that mean that this receiver, Rico Powers catches five passes for 172 yards you know, and, and looks great. Is that who's he going against? But at quarterback, you can kind of see, you know, like, okay, so how are they throwing the ball? What's their command of the offense like? That type of thing. You know, watching Clemson's spring game uh, over the weekend, and unfortunately their backup quarterback got hurt. Hate that for him. Um, it was it, watching those quarterbacks, it's more about the command of the offense. You know, do, do they know where they're going? Do they know where guys are? Can they hit those guys? What's their accuracy like? You know, that kind of thing. So we'll see it from there. I mean, we're not going to see Marshawn Lloyd, obviously. I'd surprise, be surprised if Kevin Harris has more than one carry, two carries. Uh, and, you know, and you don't want that to happen. But uh, we'll see kind of uh, see kind of what happens there. So if, I, if I'm going to give you one guy, Justin, I'm giving you uh, Luke Doty uh, to watch in, in the Gamecock spring game. All right. That's all the time we have for today on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Really appreciate you guys joining us today. Should be a fun week uh, as we continue on with spring football practice and uh, four pretty big baseball games. I mean, they're all big in the SEC, but when you play North Carolina, if you're South Carolina, you always want to beat that team, no matter the sport. And same with Georgia this past weekend. So uh, should be a, a potentially good week for Mark Kingston and his group. Um and uh, they'll keep right on rolling, and uh, you kind of hope that. And then, you know, you're going to have some football stuff, and then basketball, we'll see what happens. Um, it's either going to, you know, once the coaching thing gets finalized, uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of recruiting that takes place, especially in the portal. I mean, that basketball portal, just for the sport, is already on fire. Uh, it's unbelievable. So <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's good for the sport or not. But we can talk about that at a later time. Don't forget to get into the mailbag email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Or you can tweet to at the Big Spur pod like uh, Mike and Justin did earlier today. Appreciate every one of you. We'll holla at you soon. This is JC Sherbert inside the Gamecocks podcast. Have a great Monday. <laughs>